Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. I am delighted today to be able to sit down with Dr. Daniel Hayden of Extractioneering, or as most of you probably know from Extractioneering um, here in Oregon. Uh, thanks so much for being willing to sit down with me and talk today for the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to see what's going on. It's, it's funny, you may or may not be surprised how hard it is to find knowledgeable um, extraction chemists or, you know, scientists that are doing extraction that are willing to actually talk to me. Um, there are a lot that seem very, very protective of, of sure. what they do. Yes, and, and I mean, there'll be some protected parts. Um, yeah, yeah, I've, of course. And we wish we could be further along with the company. And when we are further along, we should re-engage about some of the more protected parts. Oh, absolutely. Today, yeah. We could talk about the science. Yeah, yeah. As you as you continue to, to grow and evolve, definitely keep me in the loop. And we can do drop-ins and um, educate folks more on, on some of what you're doing. Um, and to give people context, I know some people watching this and listening are probably somewhat familiar with extractioneering already from, you know, pretty solid Instagram following and that sort of thing. But for those that aren't so familiar, haven't um, seen any of your work. Can you briefly describe a little bit about your academic and professional background and then a little bit about the work that you're trying to do here? Sure. Um, break it up into two parts of my background is um, I went to, got my bachelor's degree for uh, in biotechnology um, at Rochester Institute of Technology in upstate New York. Um, at the time, in 1994, that was when Flavor Saver Tomatoes came out mm. and genetically modified organisms really came to space. Yeah. And I really felt I was interested in natural products, but I really wanted to get into the technology. If there's somebody mm. with a like mind who wants it to all go well, I wanted to get in and understand um, genetic modification. So um, I... I I started to pursue that for bat my bachelor's, um, and I came in contact with cannabis at the time mm -hmm. and the use and what it meant to me. And so I married the concept of biotechnology together with natural products like biodiesel mm -hmm. um, and biomass for cardboard and for wood. Yeah. And I got into hemp in the late 90s. And my thoughts about how I could contribute biotechnology and hemp and specifically oil seeds, mm -hmm. but there wasn't many opportunities as a graduate student. Right, um, right. You tell me your background in Mississippi. There's one other lab in Indiana or Illinois, but didn't really work with the plant itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, well, if I just work with plants and genetic engineering and, and rare and unique plants, um, it will help when it comes to cannabis. Right, you'll be ready. So I went to the University of Hawaii, just cast myself far oh, away nice. into wow. the islands and work with these plants that are weird and got these tissues that protect them from mm -hmm. all these environments in the tropics, but we need to investigate them. And so you couldn't just work on these things with the kits they were giving for corn and for other mm -hmm. kind of sciences. Right. You had to make your new chemistry yeah. and to extract nucleic acids and Really, my PhD was about extractions. Yeah. So they explained to you what the meaning of a PhD was, and it's creating your own piece of work mm -hmm. to contribute um, to your field. And right. I was like, I've got 70 pages on how to extract RNA from this anthurium, this yeah. really rubbery wow. plant species. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand it then, the context of it, but. You know, I got my publication, I got my PhD, and then I went into um, biofuels. Oh, interesting. So at the time, they're really a hot topic. Um, and really, biodiesel 
but I got swallowed up in the ethanol cellulose stick. Hmm. But that was tissue culture with wheat mm -hmm. and switchgrass, working with the USDA, understanding how government operates and, yep. and policies and procedures and health codes and environmental safety laws, etc. Um, and so also working with really expensive instrumentation, right, sequencing. Yeah, Developing that comfortability with all yeah. of those kinds of technologies. And, and so the tissue culture was really born there and working with sequencing. Um, I got through that, and then it's a long verbose discussion, but uh, into postdoc for UC Davis. Oh, cool. And this was on sequencing of an oil seed. So now we're getting closer to nonpolar, this mm -hmm. oil body of a seed, and why is it acting so unique, mm -hmm. and what are the genes involved? And so I did three years really investigating uh, the millions and millions of genes that are expressed in developing oat seed because it, uh, the oat kernel has a lot of oil in it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, understanding what about gene expression made produce more oil. And it, the scientist wants to say it's this easy concept. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the enzyme that makes the oil, like the THC. <laughs> the enzyme that makes the THC, you just boost it, you get more THC. Right, you yeah. knock it down, you get less. It's not like that nope. in secondary metabolism. Um, I've worked in lignin all my life, secondary metabolism. Yep. That's where this pathway of cannabinoids stations itself. And so um, we found out that the cells that make the product of question were had better metabolism. Mm. And when they were designed in the developing oat seed, when they were laid, there was more of them. Mm -hmm. So there was more of them to do the job of converting all the nutrients into the oil. Yeah. And that's why you have a better oil seed, not because the that one last step in making the oil, mm -hmm. there's just more of that enzyme and you yeah. have more oil. So, you know, that concept, um, uh, all those concepts in my background drove to the point of cannabis. I was about to say, I can, I can see how that would all um, come together and start to translate into a lot of the interesting things to investigate in cannabis. It's something I, I talk a lot about uh, concerning cannabis is there's, there's a good bit of research in a certain context that's been done, but there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit um, when it comes to cannabis research, a lot of things to investigate that um, uh, we don't currently understand as well as things with like oats or, or corn, yeah. you know, some of these like heavily, heavily researched agricultural oh, yeah. commodities. And um, yeah, and I, there was a ton of work done on cannabis in the 40s and the 50s mm -hmm. and the 60s, yeah. um, mentioning molecules um, that to your imagination. Right. can conceive having these molecules in a larger amount and being able to interact with them. Um, it, it, where has been all the progress? <laughs> right, you yeah, know? And yeah. so we celebrate a few scientists from Israel for coming up with contexts of crystallization of THC, but mm -hmm. where's the work been for the past 70 years? Right. What else is, can't, you know, characterize all these other rare molecules? So... This kind of translates into what I wanted to discuss with you, but the people you interview are mm -hmm. in the, the medical field. Yeah. And they're struggling to mm -hmm. understand how to create context. Mm -hmm. And it's because cannabis is so complex, mm -hmm. and then you don't have the right starting materials. Right. So if their starting material was a cannabis flower smoked, and then all their patients are treated the same, then mm -hmm. I would have 
I would listen to what's happening with the study. Mm -hmm. But it's just preparations, concentrated preparations, and then pills or whatever, ingestion. And so right. who knows what bioavailability Oh, yeah, research. yeah. I mean, yeah, there's the bioavailability issue. There's also one thing that drives me crazy um, in trying to decipher a lot of the clinical data that exists is the uncontrolled variables. So, like you're talking about, there's... Um, if they if they do happen to find relatively high quality starting materials, which is relatively rare in a lot of clinical research that's gone on, it's still uncontrolled and inconsistent patient to patient. So really, you're looking at individual case studies more than like a you know a data set that can be validated and actually start to decipher wisdom you know at large that would affect a more yeah. general population. Now we're getting into the weeds, batch to batch variability. Right. So yeah. you prove something with one batch. And then they ask you to go back again, or yeah. somebody asks for the batch yeah. to run it in their own samples, and it's gone. It doesn't exist. They don't know how to qualify it. On a consumer level in this marketplace, with distillate cartridges, oh gosh, we have yeah. the same thing. Oh yeah. So yeah. what we have is broad spectrum, full spectrum. We have. I'm going to give you some random cannabinoids, mm -hmm. and you're the better for it. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, so th you can <laughs> thank me later. You know, like, yeah. I've created some wild cocktail, and I bestow it upon you. Heal yourself. Thank right. You can thank me later. So <laughs> <laughs> we're really focusing on here, and we've done it. You know, of course, creating this marketplace, you have to create products, mm -hmm. and everybody's buying it for the THCs, so you're just going to move through. But we want to make sure that moving forward, we make sure we know what those minor cannabinoids are. And yeah. we engineer them reliably so the customer goes back and knows this product has a little bit more CBC in it, and right. it's for me. Yeah, I mean, and that's something I'm, I've been trying to educate people on is, like, stop focusing so much on things like strain names, um, uh, indica sativa designations, all these sorts of things, and start focusing on the actual chemistry of the product itself that you're consuming because regardless of even the chemistry of the starting material, depending on how it's been extracted, refined, potentially manipulated in some way, that finished product, beyond the fact that strain names are unreliable and beyond the fact that chemical profiles are not strongly correlated with strain names and, and that sort of thing. Um, just the, the way that something is processed um, uh, throws a, a, a little monkey wrench in, into that as well. And it, it seems like uh, consumers are slowly starting to understand that and are looking for that, but there's not a lot of good um, support for that, once someone realizes, oh, I need to focus on the chemistry, I need to find consistent, if I find something that works, I need to find something not that has the same strain name, but has the same chemical profile, um, then you get into the fact that, well, a lot of cannabis testing labs only test for, you know, six to 12, yep. you know, uh, cannabinoids and, you know, maybe 10 to 20 terpenes, uh, terpenoids. Mm -hmm. um, they're not characterizing flavonoids, they're, you know, not characterizing stilbenoids and sterols and, mm -hmm. you know, all these different things. Um, so there's, there's... What's the reproduction and uh, what is substantial medically? Right, yeah, and so people can get sort of a false perception that even if they see a certificate of analysis on something, if it's a C of A that's coming out of, you know, work that's being done right now, you're still not a getting a good picture of what that chemical profile really is, and especially someone like you that understands, you know, that there are hundreds, most likely thousands of compounds sure. you know, in this plant, Yeah. Um, that the idea of focusing on six to... 
12 or 20 yeah. is um, so limiting. So then you focus on what is our business model? What are we trying to do? We're right. trying to reproduce experiences uh, right. for our community. And so what is the endocannabinoid system? It's a lock and key. Your endocannabinoid system is different than mine. Right. If we were brothers born from the same parents, we would have different endocannabinoid yeah. systems. And each user needs to interact differently with their ratio of yep. phytocannabinoids yep. to provide them supplements. And we, as a product company, just want to make sure that when they buy their next bomb or tincture or capsule or gummy mm -hmm. or extract or cartridge, that they get a reproducible experience. Yeah. And so we chase that yep. understanding, but we chase complexity as well. Yeah. So. And then you get merged into complexity, and how do we preserve complexity through the extraction? You right. said any downstream processes or how it's packaged can affect something that started great and then became something else. Yeah. Um, so um, that segues really well into something else that I wanted to make sure to talk to you about. Um, and we can get as deep into it as you want because it might tiptoe into a little bit of proprietary stuff. But can you speak a little bit to how a lot of cannabis extracts are produced? What are some of the technologies and processes involved? How do they differ? What are the pros and cons? And what specifically in your context, what do you prefer and which ones are you a little more um, kind of skeptical about that sort of thing? So, yeah, so this is the, the casual extract question for yeah. all extract or, or processing companies. Yeah. Um, they, they, they split themselves up into about a, a few different categories. Solvent, solventless, concentrate or extract is your first category. So I really focus on what's an extract, mm -hmm. what's the botanical term for extraction. Right, right. So using a solvent to remove undesirables and to preserve desirables. Yeah. I mean, using a solvent, and people laugh about, is water a solvent in cannabis? Water is a solvent for water-soluble exactly. things. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, things that are more polar. So, yeah. sure. So, in this context, the body of the trichome is the resin. It's nonpolar. So, mm -hmm. we use nonpolar solvents. Um, something solventless would be mechanical um, or steam or pressure like rosin or hash or sift mm -hmm. um, and that preserves the complete um, resin profile mm -hmm. but with impurities right. so it's not an extract and then um, so what's a solvent could be butane or co2 or alcohol mm -hmm. what are you trying to extract and what are you trying to prevent from co-extraction right. so alcohol is a is a has some polar qualities to it. It's going to mm -hmm. pull other portions of the resin. There's something is not black or white, mm -hmm. polar or nonpolar. Right. It bends how it wants to bend, but mostly in there it's nonpolar. There are some water soluble portions yeah, of yeah. molecules. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's actually in the new butane. So I find butane is this miracle of God molecule. <laughs> And it actually gets more, it's, gets more polar as it colder it gets. Mm. So you can actually bend it to mm -hmm. grab a little bit more of that can get more water. So and where that yeah. water solubility in nonpolar is where flavor is, sort of. It's the flavors mm -hmm. of things are in the esters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, butane, it's just a great buffer as well. So when we talk about science mm -hmm. and biology the first thing we do is talk about 
charge and buffers yep. and how to prepare solutions for extraction. And so when I come up to this problem in cannabis, when I got done with academia and government and everything, it's a, it's a problem right in front of me. It's a separation problem that needs buffers. Mm -hmm. And and so certain things work better than others. You have, you have CO2. So CO2 is doesn't have a hydrocarbon equivalent, right. um, although it comes from the industrial gas complex. Mm -hmm impurities could be added to right. co2 just yeah. like so like any hydrocarbon yeah. right and so um so but you have to bend co2 in a few different directions you say i want a heavier molecule i want to i want a lighter molecule in the end i'll i'll put them back together yeah and so i <laughs> humpty dumpty got put back together <laughs> again it never as i extract biology in my life in my career mm -hmm. i could not as reassemble complexity in the reverse direction yeah any meaning to any meaningful extent yeah i mean that's a common issue in herbalism i mean going back to old roots of alchemy um that's and i don't want to deviate too much because we'll get to this but this ties into the concept of full spectrum and everything and this this concept that a lot of herbalists have been chasing down for a long time is how do you capture the plant essence um in a basically a liquid form, essentially, and the most common way is taking all different parts of a plant, extracting it, trying to mix it back together. But to your point, when when you do that and you mix things back together, you tend to find that things have changed, yeah. regardless of the ways you've tried to control them. Yeah, cannabis presents the most complicated example of all this. If you want to extract salicylic acid from yeah. willow bark, I mean, it's right in front of you. You know, you just remove yeah. everything and you get the one water soluble compound. Yep. And it and it brings down your inflammation, takes your headache away. Yeah. But when you're talking about cannabis, uh, it's incredibly complex, and uh, oxygen, everything oh gosh, kind of yeah. affects what's happening there. Especially with terpenes that are very very sensitive yeah. to oxidation, and yeah. and so um, you know, there's a, and then you say, how do we? S what is full spectrum? And it's kind of like um, it changes. Don't let anyone tell you that we have different standards of what full spectrum is. <laughs> I don't smoke the cannabis plant to get chlorophyll. Right, right. So I usually put that quote on, on your Instagram, and then he says, we all have different standards. We don't have. Uh, we use cannabis for one reason, the resin of the trichome, yeah. right? And so we want that complete resin. You toss everything mm -hmm. else out. I'll get my chlorophyll from somewhere else. I'll get my <laughs> antioxidants from somewhere right. else. I'll get my proteins and my starch. I don't need this don't stuff need from, this cannabis. from cannabis. I want yeah. <laughs> a bioavailable cannabis product yeah. that I can use in an administrated way, which is a vapor mm -hmm. that works best for my chemistry and evolution mm -hmm. species, right? So full spectrum is different for each batch of cannabis that you right. collect. And so for and and you wanna carry the complexity throughout the mm -hmm. extraction, but make it available. And so what I find throughout all my extraction and scientific knowledge is I've seen things come together and never be able to come apart again mm -hmm. based on the chemistry you're using. And right. I feel a lot of that is happening in ca cannabis concentrates today. They polymerize mm -hmm. with substances yeah. on the exterior yeah. of the leaf and what's trying to be protected on the interior of a trichrome, lock it in place. And then when you go to vaporize it, almost like boiling water with salt in it. Mm -hmm. You're just getting these strands of glops coming and flying at you, and the THC works just the same. Mm -hmm. yep. You say like this to the product, it works, but you want all those 
things individual. So when they vaporize, you want them all individual, mm -hmm. and so you can each one's your sensors and everything can get in there and they can all get in your evoli and right. in your bloodstream as individual molecules. Yeah. And so what is full spectrum? It's taking that complexity of each batch and making the entirety of it available. And maintaining, and, and when you're saying maintaining the complexity, you mean maintaining the complexity of those resins. Yes, the resin that's in the trichome of the batch of cannabis. Yeah. So when we come to hemp, so in cannabis, we've had this structure where you get Girl Scout cookies, mm -hmm. and you grow a whole room of it, and I extract it, and it's pretty linear. I mean, I could test a nug and the terpenes, but it's pretty linear. Now I walk out into the hemp field, and I have Jack Air, Grape Crush, Train Wreck. It's just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And they're going to try to make a some product a combination of oils and it's just going to be like wedging a whole bunch of flavor and experience just ramming it all together yeah. even if it's not bioavailable which in 95 percent right. it won't be right yeah um yeah. it's just not going to be what we know of cannabis which is individual selections well, and, and even just talking about the flavor bit i mean that's that's easy to illustrate just thinking about foods like you don't want to take a bunch of different flavors of um i don't know uh, cakes or candies or something and merge them all together, that merged together flavor is not going to be as good as tasting each individual unique it, flavor. I'd like, I'd like, thanks for bringing up the food thing because it's great. So another person's extract or technology is like an egg, flour, water, and oil mm -hmm. mixed up and, and, and set in front of you and say, this is your cake. Right. And so, you know, uh, what we're trying to do is add a little bit of baking soda and put it in the oven and, you know, understand what about the natural chemistry. When the first person made bread, like mm -hmm. what did they understand about how the, pro the, the proteins in it had sulfur and made it connect together and made the dough elastic and mm -hmm. made it rise? It was special about the chemistry of that. But you'd never know that if you didn't go through the correct sequence. So I think with a lot of cannabis extracts, it's like an unbaked yeah. cake. Yeah, it's almost like... It um, has all the parts, but it's not... It's like getting the the um, box cakes. Yeah. You know, uh, like it seems like a lot of folks are jumping into starting labs. They're getting the equipment that they know is the basic equipment to do, doing basic processes. And they're they're making a cake, technically, yeah. you know, out of the, the core components. But it's nothing like if you went to a bakery and bought a cake from someone that really understands... Um, you know, the complexities to draw out flavors, make things rich and, and enticing, you know, all these different things. Yeah. So um, it's just that little bit um, of extra. And it is it is found in chemistry and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there is uh, proprietary parts of it. So we're working a lot with the combination of CO2 and butane. Mm. And so it's not rocket science. Um, and everybody does it, actually. Mm -hmm. But we just... We're scientists, so um, we just sequence it correctly. Yeah. And what we found is that CO2 is the perfect co-solvent, is yeah. the term yeah. we're using. So what it does is it gets into the resin, and it all the parts that would polymerize or attach or oxygen mm -hmm. would affect the resin. We charge it with a CO2, like you would carbonate a beverage. Yeah. And then we run the extraction, and what with our sequence, we understand that the CO2 keeps it together and the 
it eschews like the butane mm -hmm. uh, and the solvent and keeps its terpenes and all its complexity folded together. And then when we relax it and let it release, mm -hmm. it unfolds and burps and, and effervesces. And all those CO2 kind of come off of all those yeah. oxygens mm -hmm. and those double bonded areas. Uh, and then you can really start to taste all those molecules start to kind of unravel. Yeah. And yeah. so in a sense, we buffered we protected all the molecules during the extraction. Yeah. And at the end, there's no wax for them to lock together and to polymerize. And yeah. now you're able to pick it up and dab it in the vapor. You're able to taste kind of each one. And we would hope each one would get into the bloodstream individually and right. have all the effects it's supposed to have. And what are your thoughts about... Um, so looping back around to uh, the comments I was making on social media about full spectrum... Um, what are your thoughts about producers that are issuing these super heavily refined distillate products um, and labeling them as, as full spectrum, yeah. which so, has become really common in the CBD industry particularly? So we, we started this trend in 2016, and we brought the botanical understanding aspect mm -hmm. of full spectrum into the conversation yeah. with our our products that look like this. So these are all cured resin products. And so anyone watching might be like, this is live resin. Cured mm -hmm. resin is a darker sap or a shatter or something. These are all cured resin products because we understand how to extract the chemistry from them. Um, and so, uh, sorry, I got off track there. No, no, that's the, okay. The, so what other companies are doing with full spectrum? So yeah. they, in 2016, we said, this is not full spectrum. This is high cannabinoid. Because you bred the plant so in excess of THCA that all of this crystalline stuff falls out of it. And, and it's supposed to be um, just kind of the liquid in the bulb, right? Mm -hmm. But the liquid in the bulb is terpenes every day. It's right. producing terpenes. It's yeah. kind of it's a water. And it's making all these other complex molecules. And when yep. you dry it, all those light terpenes go away. And you have mostly these cannabinoids left. And so... Um, in response to this full spectrum, everybody just used the term. Right, yeah. It's very because, uh, so we called it high terpene and high cannabinoid. The liquid showed more terpenes than what was mm -hmm. typically maybe in cannabis when you smoked it. Right. And the high cannabinoid had more cannabinoids than would be in flowered cannabis mm -hmm. if you smoked it. So we said it's not that full experience, it's more in this direction or it's more in right. that direction. Sort of We're not gonna come and say it's full spectrum. And then they just took full spectrum and said it's, it applies to everything across the board, all right. of this is the same. Because if everybody keeps a level playing ground, everybody makes money and is treated fairly. Well, exactly. And, <laughs> and what is disappointing to me is in the marketing language used for a lot of these products, you know, it's become um, sort of a meme that if you want the, the best therapeutic outcome, then you want full spectrum. And then there's not a solid definition of what someone means by full spectrum. And so you have, um, you know, folks that are totally unfamiliar with any of this that are going to, you know, Fred Meyer looking at CBD products and basically looking for something that has that term full spectrum on it, thinking, well, that's the best, yeah. pulling it and everything. And, that, and that's why um, when I was talking to all these companies, I kept getting different feedback that some people would say, oh, by full spectrum, we mean just the cannabinoid fraction, or we mean the cannabinoid terpene fraction, or some people that were saying whole plant, and then I say, are you using the roots? Yeah, and, and, perfect. Um, and so and they say, that's silly. No, that's silly. <laughs> and you say, you just described. So, yeah, so, so they use it as a term of marketing. And yeah. so when I talk to you about the CO2 and the solvent that we're using, 
because we can't get the product to market, we can't talk about much of the stuff yet because yeah. they're just ready to collect all that information right. and use it as info marketing yeah. uh, to yeah. describe their products because all the products are simple and all the same, 90% unknown, but they know people smoke them, they work with right. the THC at least. You can say, I well, got a product because I got high, <laughs> and that's your only benchmark. So that's yeah. the only benchmark for all the cannabis, all the reputation that CBD has. It's how THC works on people. Oh, well, and this this marries greatly with the conversation I had with um, Dr. Kevin Spellman, the uh, phytochemist and um, kind of a medicinal plant expert at large. But this was an issue he um, brought up that he said annoys him is that what most people use to determine whether a cannabis product is effective or not is whether they got high off of it and not understanding that there are all sorts of things happening in your body that you don't directly perceive in the moment. You know, there's all sorts of changes happening. Um, And that's what it was. So a lot of cannabis products have the synthetic cannabinoid or the spice or some other compound or uh, Viagra or, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. So uh, even the CBD. So we look at the studies. When we were making our line of CBD, we know exactly how much CBD people need. It's like 300 to 500 milligrams twice a day. Mm-hmm. S- these things are saying you have 60 doses at, at these levels. <laughs> yeah. So we feel like they're lesser. They work for some individuals who have a light tolerance mm-hmm. and need a lesser key in their endocannabinoids, or they haven't been exposed to can- phytocannabinoids ever in their life. Right. And they have that little bit of CBD in it and it knocks something loose. One out of seven Americans has gone to a CBD store and bought CBD. So yeah. people are asking the question, where is my relief? Right. It's in these THC and THC CBD products yeah. is what they're looking for, and they don't have access to them. They only have access to CBD store in the South yep. with hot products with a little <laughs> bit of THC, right? Or Delta 8 or whatever. So we're all yeah. trading on THC. And so when we're vilifying THC, it really disappoints me. And so we got to reboot what is THC. It's not a drug. It's not an intoxicant. So it's up to you and I to lead the paradigm of THC is different for you and me. It's just different. Well, it's just all this, all this cannabinoid science. I mean, it's going back to what you were saying earlier, but you know, that everyone's endocannabinoid system tone is different. Everyone um, their bodies interact with these compounds in different ways. And I'm glad you're touching on this um, sort of concept of the, the vilification of, of THC because that, that was another thing I wanted to to get into is um, going back to the CBD markets. Um, you know, it's taking people a while to catch on, but they're starting to catch on that, oh, maybe these THC-free products, um, maybe they're not as effective as the ones that have some THC. And the research back from, like, research from the 80s was was showing that, you know, if you have a little bit of THC with CBD, that it's going to, you know, change, um, you know, so the they call that broad spectrum dynamics. Now. Yeah. yeah. Now it's called broad spectrum. They <laughs> yeah. have a new thing to sell you. So it's a Furby thing. So yeah. last night, 24 months of CBD stores are just like a fad. Everybody rushing in mm-hmm. to see if they can be cured from right. these miracle products. And then everybody yep. getting exposed to different levels and different workflows. And so you're just trading on 
uh, THC, and then this kind of fad of CBD, and the next one up is CBG. See, exactly. So we'll yep, just roll yep. the dice, and you tell <laughs> you, oh, CBD didn't work for you. Now it's CBG. Right. And so in 2021, <laughs> it'll be THCV. Right. Yeah. And then in 2022, CBD. it'll be, yeah. Yep, so yep. we'll just ride, kind of ride down the line. And so it, it, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we get to work on the other end, the authentic cannabis cultivators. So there's awesome cultivators in Oregon right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Uh, and they are down to the street level of breeding, all making all these crosses yeah. and trying to figure it out. And so they're still in the THC game, mm -hmm. but hopefully they just have the passion for product that we'll end up kind of using in a vaporized or in an oil form that will be meaningful. So, you know, this hemp craze, we just kind of sit back and watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how it develops now with the USDA rules coming out. And uh, everyone's acting so surprised about the USDA rules. I'm like, did you read the farm bill? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're going to say they're coming down, right? Yeah, I mean, the USDA regs just, you know, they have to operate within the context of the farm bill. And now people are realizing that the farm bill maybe wasn't as awesome as they thought it was. And, and now they're yelling at the wrong people to change the rules or yelling at the USDA or the FDA. And it's like, you need to talk to Congress. Congress because, um, <laughs> the, the law is set. And, um, you know, these are just rules and regulations to keep you in line with the law. Um, and so the guidance. Yeah, yeah. So the USDA and FDA don't have a lot they can, they can really do about, about any of that. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how the CBD market evolves and, and how that influences the cannabis industry broadly. And and my hope is, you know, with like a podcast like this, someone hearing our conversation right now, my hope is that regardless of what knowledge or wisdom anyone extracts from hearing us talk right now, hopefully it just at least inspires better conversations so that people are starting to think. Um, well, so well, we're on it. What, how does this, how does this get better? Yeah. What is it yeah. better for all the people that you interview in the past and who you'll interview forward who are medical professionals who are trying to grapple with how do I create, you know, make some context about this? Right. How, um, what are we trying to do? So on the product sense, we need to make reproducible batches yeah, exactly. and products before we start anything. And then we have to track what's going on. Yeah. And so we need customer feedback. Yeah. yeah so we're going to yeah. do a reverse FDA study. So in a drug world, you have one drug and you see how it interacts with the entire population. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it has its intended effects. And sometimes it just gives people boners <laughs> and the life goes on. Yeah. But uh, cannabis <laughs> is the opposite. It's a key. So everybody needs to figure out where their endocannabinoid system is and where their products that work best for them are. And they need to come together like that. And so we need all the different keys and all the different locks to understand what's going on. It's right. taking their knee pain away. It's taking their migraines away. It's giving them better gut health. It's curing their diabetes. It's yep. giving them their hair back. I, I don't know, but we create the products and we need the customers to feed back into it. Yeah. But their fear of cannabis and privacy laws and mm -hmm. medical laws are all, and then how to the FDA and how to get away with saying what our products do is yeah. all there but we're gonna use social media and social medicine to cure this problem. We don't say this product cures cancer. You're right. We give you this app and everyone else who it's cured cancer for will tell you what their experience mm -hmm. was. And so all we have to do is curate 
the platform so that it works as, yeah. as well as it works. And then you can say, well, CBC, um, you know, takes psoriasis away, no mm -hmm. problem for everybody. And you wouldn't know that. Yeah. Until you make you well, make and that and this this relates to therapeutic applications. It also relates to adverse events too. I mean, something that um, has been unfortunate is due to the way the laws have been up until now. Folks have not been talking to their doctors, nurses, their healthcare professionals about their cannabis use, what their experiences are, and that makes it really hard for doctors to understand what the truth or the possible risks you know might be when people start talking about wanting to to use some of this and I, I spoke to one doctor who you know tried to explain to the listenership that when doctors get really reserved about cannabis and don't want to necessarily support the use it's not necessarily because they think that something bad's going to happen it's just that they are entering a realm of ignorance mm -hmm. that makes them very uncomfortable and they can't speak one way or the other about yeah. it. They've and heard bad things about drugs and, and they don't connect it to this is a medicine. Well, and, and not even necessarily just that. It's just like it might work, it might not. There's no, because no one's talking to me, speaking from the doctor's perspective, because no one's talking to me about it and I don't know what patients are experiencing, I can't speak about it one way or the other because don't know which way to go. So, yeah, this whole idea that we need to be talking more, sharing information, it's critical. And then this relates to another concept that I'm very interested in, how to measure the endocannabinoid system tone. And, you know, we're still a ways off from measuring that in a sophisticated way, you know, like... How about uh, like a, a profile, like right. a flight of beers, except I give you a flight of... As I come up with products in yeah. the system and they really get a good feedback and understanding, then I give you... Uh, this flight to understand where exactly, your yeah. cannabinoid system is at. That's and exactly the yeah. the um, the the balance there is. Yeah, it's you know the one great thing about cannabis is that the safety profile of cannabis is pretty well established and understood. And so the idea that you can present um, a series of options, a yeah. series of THC CBD ratios, a series of terpene profiles, whatever, um, and people can try those out. And try to understand what works. I mean, it's that's not like giving an antidepressant exactly. and having somebody commit to it. So, you know, exactly, like it's just not yeah. the right chemistry, and you haven't been watching close enough. And right. it's like it's a it's pretty safe to do these things. That didn't work for me, or kept me up all night. It didn't really cure my insomnia. Right. It's not a life or death. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right, yeah. The worst thing that might happen is you feel uncomfortable yeah. for a little while, and yeah. then you realize like, oh, maybe I that took too much, work. or maybe that's yeah. that's not for me, or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that a lot. Just this idea that there needs to be more education and more communication. Um, and so we talked about cannabinoids, right? So we didn't even talk about flavonoids, stilbenes, right, right. uh, you know, methyl esters, lignanamides, yep. um, you know, like stuff like reversitol and the stuff from tannins mm -hmm. from they were supposed to cure cancer right drink a glass of wine every day the stuff yeah what dr oz keeps pitching with like <laughs> yeah. uh, raspberry ketones or whatever mm -hmm. it is there's some evidence there mm -hmm. but they really can't put together studies that say this reduces breast cancer or, you know but it, you know it's individual to individual yeah. really and what cannabis what cannabis we want to be is like a lifestyle we want you to put different types of cannabinoids in as, as, as you feel fit, um, like you would get vitamins, yeah. phytocannabinoids from 
ingestion. Yeah. Um, and so just keep on mixing them together and never let your body become accustomed um, to one particular thing. Well, THC, if you like, like to become accustomed to it, then right. that's fine. But um, these cannabinoids or flavonoids or different substances, they should just be as a bouquet. Yeah. Uh, and you know the one CBD, if you put it in your system, it's not going to work after a while. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just hammering it in there, and your system is just going to ignore this overpopulation. Right, exactly. I mean, and that's part of, uh, you know, the way our molecular signaling networks are set up is if there's too much signaling going down, then your body says, oh, we need to turn that volume down. We need to pull some of those receptors. You must not need them. because yes, you get so much. <laughs> you yeah. get so much. Um yeah, and, there, and there's been some interesting um, casual studies and some formal research that has shown that, you know, if you need to break your tolerance with cannabis, just go to something that um, is a different cultivar, you know, slightly different chemical profile, you know, and regardless of the THC and CBD, those those other compounds. And, yeah, I mean, the buzz right now is all about terpenes, but just like we were saying that people are going to go from CBD to CBG and THCV, the same thing's going to, I feel like, <laughs> end up happening with these chemical classes that people are going from cannabinoids and now they're all about terpenes and they're moving towards flavonoids sure. now and, and then they're, they're going to keep dis rediscovering what yeah. we've already discovered about sure. plants broadly you know that these chemical classes are in all sorts of plants and they're very interesting um but so from an extraction sense yeah the extraction is going away yeah. from all these complexities so it was fun to have the terpene moment Mm -hmm. Right. But he was like, it's not just about shatter. Now I have these liquidy products. Yep. But now they're trying to make them lighter and lighter in color. I've noticed And that, that's yeah. going to be stripping mm -hmm. out all the stuff that touches your tongue yeah. that makes it ignite is the same stuff that you can strip away mm -hmm. a, that looks like a color. And so what are our products? Our products in coloration are like beers, mm -hmm. more or less. Yeah, yeah, that's a good... Come from hops. Uh, cannabis and hops are pretty close. Yeah. So if you look at your beers, you have red, orange, mm -hmm. yellow, and then the porter is right. dark, right? Yep. But we like those red, orange, and yellow mm -hmm. colors, and you may not be able to see through them, but I could show you... We could bring out some samples because we're at our facility. Yeah, that'd be and, great. And uh, um, the light going through them mm -hmm. is different. Yeah. And so... Working with Dr. Harrington out of Ohio, mm -hmm. he nebulized this concept of spectral fingerprinting. Gotcha. Okay. Really simple in the plate reader. He just shines the UV light through, you know, how you used to analyze DNA. You see mm -hmm. the, the yep. you go through the spectrum and then it absorbs yep. and, and let's pass through proteins, mm -hmm. carbohydrates, all that. So these substances should uh, absorb or let light pass through. Right. And so you should get a fingerprint. So you should immediately know, does this product have wax or interfering mm -hmm. molecules in it that will interfere with my experience yeah. and bioavailability? And so maybe we can make a light that we can shine through um, and some sort of way to record. Yeah. They have some of these devices merged with science. And of course, in science, you have all these devices. Oh, and yeah, then the, of course, yeah. the conversion to chemistry, cannabis is... Can I re put my brand on this <laughs> and sell it to people in cannabis as a novel concept? But they right. all exist in science. Just oh in gosh, general. yeah. I mean, that's that's been the racket in uh, cannabis testing. All these technologies that are being yeah. presented. Yeah, and as then you just call new. it proprietary. I don't have any <laughs> proprietary stuff. Right. I have chemistry and my experience. Yeah. And we have like Coca-Cola. Well, I'm not going to tell you the exact sequence, mm -hmm. but they're going to protect that flavor and that taste and everything. So maybe. 
that's the concept. This texture and this taste and everything. Mm -hmm. We want to protect like ketchup. Like Heinz wants to protect the bottle and the look. Right. And they don't want anybody interfering with that. It's like make as much ketchup as you want. Right. But ours so, is our, our own ketchup. Yeah. But it's not a ketchup's not proprietary or anything, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they say a proprietary blend of solvent, you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. <I> <laughs> it's like cool. a. Oh, 25, 50, 25. That's our proprietary blend. It's a secret. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's quite funny, but spectral fingerprinting. Could we pr do a device? You put the product, mm -hmm. you shine a light through it. It tells you even like broadcast your phone app. Yeah. Is this product worth 60 bucks? Is right. this product yeah. worth 20 bucks? Is mm -hmm. this product worth five bucks? And that's all I ask from this community. Yeah. Produce any products you want. Just make sure they're appropriately priced for mm -hmm. the value that whoever's buying them is getting. So there's going to be a bunch of dollar to five dollar products right. on our market. Yeah. And but there's going to be elegant places for nice cakes and pastries and exactly. And yeah. The whole spectrum yes. is going to be there. Yeah. And that sort of technology that's that's really interesting. It's a that's a really cool, quick, qualitative measurement. Basically, you know, just looking. You know, you don't have to get super quantitative about about any of the stuff. Uh, can you, uh, in front of the, um, on the oven, there's like four bottles right up front, yeah. like lava cake, GMO and everything. Cool. I'll show you um, what I'm talking about a little bit about light. So when we do our process, how we quantify or qualitate things in science, mm -hmm. you pass light through them, yep. you put them on gels, you separate yep. them, you run them through juicy columns yep. and heat them up, you bend them around magnetic <laughs> things. So, you know, we started looking at the light that's coming through our products and nobody else could show us. You could have, you know, live resin, you could have a distillate jar. They could look and appear depending upon their heat as mm -hmm. our products, but right. you shine the light through our products and they have a unique spectrum that comes out because they're effectively pure. Yeah. Uh, and they don't absorb, they don't have all these particles that absorb that that's a good way to explain spectrum. that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so um, we're going to try to hitch on to that and try to, with all of our products, show how optically pure they are uh, and then get into the game yeah. of, well, CO2, rosin, or some right. of these other things. They still have wax. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah, that would certainly be interesting if in the future at dispensaries or um, wherever folks end up buying extracts in different states. But um if there were a, a, a tool like that in the same way that for flour, folks are looking at through magnifiers and, you know, smelling and everything that with extracts, they, you know, have some mounted light or something and can compare these, these spectra. And then, and then even some, you know, getting around to, to kind of um, what you're, you're sort of pointing toward is a new um, kind of qualitative standard that you could actually come up with some ranking or um, a, a spectrum of qualities yeah. that those those So imagine that no lab's going to do that for me. Right. Because there no no company who can't meet that quality is going to say eh, labs should pr do this test or right. we should have this it's test mandated interest, so yeah. that we know yeah because it's not so that's not a common theme. That's only a theme to us cuz we have that higher ability to reach that second tier. Yeah. So another thing is they have handheld. You put your nugget in. You get the USB reader. It tells you. Oh, right. Yeah. And those things, they're not IR accurate. They yeah. give you the same mm -hmm. result every time. So whatever thing we do, 
it really has to be spot on and reliable. Mm -hmm. And then that really puts your the customer's trust in, in whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so eventually we want to make sure that everybody can come with the product table, but there's got to be some metric, yeah. some qualitative measure of how well you've separated mm -hmm. the resin from this extraction and how well yeah. you've carried it down the line and how bioavailable it is. And bioavailable isn't if you put a nano emulsion oh, and gosh, do yeah. all these nano and pico things to it and right. you shove it in, you're just shoving it in a water soluble, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it's disassociating in your body and then you're calling it nano. I mean, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about every molecule being unperturbed and accessible under your administration yeah. regimen. And, and you don't necessarily want 100% of cannabinoids and terpenes and all these other things to be bioavailable. I mean, we've we've co-evolved um, with the idea that, you know, a lot of cannabinoids we ingest do just get excreted. And that's fine because it doesn't take much to, you know, uh, get in your bloodstream, reach sites of actions and, and cause profound changes to the body. Um, and so it's it's something that I am that actually there are all sorts of things about the industry that make me a little nervous. It's not that I like necessarily think there's going to be a some sort of crisis or anything, but I'm keeping an eye on it. But uh, attempts to change bioavailability and things like that. It's like we just don't really know what some of those effects are going to be. So the THCO acetate, yeah, I said yeah. was going to be the first thing that killed somebody in cannabis. So people are making this molecule mm -hmm. and it's a hundred times the efficacy of THC, mm -hmm. which I don't know. <laughs> You're having a problem with the efficacy of THC? Uh, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta okay, it. so what happens is it gets in the same stream, somebody does uh, the amount of product they would use custom with THC with this product that's a yeah. hundred times more mm -hmm. and they, they crash themselves out. And then you have your first death in THC because everybody's, t uh, cannabis is so safe. How could we do any wrong? And then you add the oacetate to yeah. it and now you're doing wrong. So there was, there's, I keep, anytime I see it come up, oh, we're doing THC oacetate. This is a new thing. I, I try to squash it immediately and just be like, you're going to kill people. Well, we've Don't already do been it. through this with synthetic cannabinoids. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, we've, we've dealt with these ultra potent cannabinoids and seeing what they do and make people pass out, throw up immediately. People crack their skulls, you know, people that, um, especially, you know, so, you know, we mentioned earlier off camera that I'm from Mississippi, something that was really common and is less common now, but, you know, in Mississippi where prohibition is still so strict um, no one wants to fail a drug test, but people still want to use cannabis and, there's not always necessarily a sophisticated understanding of how uh, "quote unquote" yeah, legal like bud or spice or K two or how, spice. how that's different yeah. than cannabis, and so a lot of people are using you know these herbs with synthetic cannabinoids sprayed on them. Um, Comes up in athletes. Occasionally. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's very common. Showing up at the police station all whacked out. It's very common in high schools it. with athletes yeah. um, that don't want to fail drug tests and stuff. And um, yeah, we already know that. There are major problems with those things that ER visits are, you know, that's something that doctors do um, have experience with, particularly in southeastern states and in the Midwest and stuff um, where that's exactly. Yeah. And so absolutely, I'm, I'm with you there that we've got to be really careful about introducing 
Um, There's nothing wrong with the amount of cannabinoids that's in cannabis. Let's just start getting them <laughs> right. bred up, right? right? Start to increase the levels of yeah those minor cannabinoids right. through breeding. We can get them all back. The cannabis plant is like a, a treasure chest. Yeah. If yeah. the biopharm I found this in the Amazon today, it'd be the oh yeah investigation of our entire lifetime. Yeah. Um, we found this miracle drug plant. Um, it's a biochemical factory. It's amazing. So they're all in there. So we just got to start teasing them out. That's what my upsetness is. So you characterize THC in 1950. And here we are just sitting with THC and a little bit of CBD. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. and there's half a century, everybody wants more to say than how, half a century. How later. many cannabinoids are in there? 35, 104, you know, uh, different contexts, bonds changing, oh, exactly. you know, just yeah. ornamentation, um, stereochemistry. But um, they're all in there. We just need to breed them out. And so uh, we'll be ready when it comes to making the high quality vaporization products um, from any new breed with any. Yeah. Cannabis elevated. Okay, cool. So we're we're back from a very brief um, break. So in case those of you that are watching or listening, um, in case we didn't mention it before, we're actually recording this podcast episode in a licensed cannabis facility here. And so one of the benefits of that is we actually get to um, take a look at some of the products um, that we've been talking about up until now. Um, so, uh, can you just kind of, um... yeah, so this, this is kind of bulk products. So okay. an individual customer who gets a gram from the dispensary or gets shown one would never encounter anything like this. So it's important to know in your products and your consistencies, what makes this individual gram, what it looks like in its bulk form. And so um, we want to make this process transparent when we get going uh, with the customer. We want to show the plant as it's growing. We want to show mm -hmm. the material and have it tested ourselves and understand the terpene profiles yeah, of yeah. the material used for this. We're not afraid to show you trim and show you nug. It's all the same stuff to us. If you're shopping for only nug run, you can go through our catalog and choose them wisely. But nice, to okay. us, cannabis is cannabis. Trichome is trichome. The, the resin in it. It's just as good. Um, so this is what our products look like in bulk. Um, and so here are the outcomes um, of our extraction, more or less. And so to show you the uniqueness of the extraction, um, this is the wax in the extra THCA that we take out um, of our product. And this is what we leave behind. Now. This is only a portion of it. I probably have a jar like this of the liquid terpenes um, and then the extra THCA. But this has all of the um, waxes that would polymerize and lock all this together removed. And they're all in this product right here. Now, we have to say, well, this is the non-winterized. Well, this product is like rosin or hash um, okay. in its flavor and consistency and in its profile. Um, so it's not like this is the undesirable from this. Gotcha. But that's the conversation. But this product is just a lesser in cost for the customer product because mm -hmm. it's not as refined as this. People absolutely love this product because it's it's cannabinoid ratio. So whenever we do the extraction, this cannabinoid ratio is at a specific amount, and it collects more of the heavier cannabinoid molecules. And it's a more deep, dead set high. It's too much for me. 
So it'd be like indica sativa if you want to go that way, right? Yeah, right, right. This product is for the daytime, the, lux the luxury use, the flavor use, especially the liquids. Um, and I like, um, and then the sugars for a little bit more potency when you do it. But because most of it's THCA, the liquid is THCA and terpenes, it's at that right balance where you can just get all of the flavor. And when we have products in bulk like this, this improves with age. So it's naturally gassing off. So it's, it's, oh, it's I heard going, it. Yeah, it's going to gas off. Took them out of the, the heat, so there's a little bit. So um, it will naturally gas off over time, and the flavonoids will separate, and they'll be a little bit heavier. And so don't tip them over yet, because I think I got them all cracked. But um, as they keep them in there longer, the heavier molecules in suspension will naturally fall down. Right. And you can have this vintage product even with flavonoids um, that is the most wonderful product I've ever tasted, and you can't step away from it, which would be you leave this sitting here for six months, and you pour off most of it, and what is down here, Interesting. you dab, okay. and it's the 100x flavor, just all the flavor and everything. Wow. So these different fractions have to be scientifically analyzed, mm -hmm. and they're with a million-dollar machines yeah, that yeah. I can't get access, access to banking to, yeah. for. So um, just... But knowing they exist is enough for us. And then going through the different versions of the extractions, again, all these are cured resin. And so th this is the wax that was taken out of these. And so that is a whole product lineup for all different types, whether you want value and more potency or you want more flavor um, gotcha. and a little bit lighter. And so kind of that conversation replace indica sativa uh in our lineup yeah that's that's reassuring because the the indica sativa thing drives me crazy um because it's it's largely devoid of meaning <laughs> and um, so now is it we were talking about the spectral fingerprint of, of these products that don't have the wax oops sorry so the wax let's see if i can get them closer to me wax is taken out and so you oh, can wow. see the light in up here is which from your angle is what you're looking at. If you held a paper, you would see a ring of a specific color, and that's what you're talking about about kind of the spectral fingerprint. Mm -hmm. So, how the distance that the light passes through, and then the spectrum that it is, would create a quality of extracts. And so, in this cluster, is one product um, that didn't winterize as well as we would have liked. So we can see, but you know, these are darker products. Um, but they still have that yeah, okay. glow, and these are all different batches and different extractions. Um, you can still see that one glow. Mm -hmm. And this one didn't winterize as effectively as we would have and liked it to. Just, yeah, and so everything. all those molecules that we wanted to push into here for this batch, um, we kind of failed. And so um, in that context, um, we obviously optimized processes mm -hmm. to never let that happen. Yeah. But um, it would go into a different product lineup. So we create different product classes where all our successes mm -hmm. meet certain 
grades and then our in-betweens it didn't work because of whatever reason but it's still in a better quality class goes in the middle and then products that have the waxy fraction yeah. that are more natural sedative products are in the accessible price range yeah that's super interesting and then within each of these classes you can have such a, a spectra of um uh, to an extent of chemistry with those two um, to tease out different different effects or different options for people that prefer a, a product class but then are looking for some variability within that product class. Um, so the complexity we would want to do is um, these are your uh, full-spectrum natural preparations, and then we could add cannabinoids mm -hmm. based on the user to these natural flavor right. preparations. And so if we could create a device that would in one vial have this, and then in other vials have CBD, CBC, THCV, mm -hmm. and then you're, you could program, oh, in the morning I like to have, I want the haze flavor, but right. I want uh, CBC and, and CBD. You can um, make your own then, mix. And then later in the afternoon, I want to put the THC mm. in and, and get to the, the perps. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. So, you know, that we can do in combination, but still, we could still have isolations and complexity yeah. together. And the user can kind of determine what, what way they want to go. So we want to make it like as user friendly yeah. as possible. And are, are these products going to be, um, I think you mentioned before, but I just want to clarify, they're going to be vape pen friendly. Yes. Yeah. All of our products since our inception have really driven towards the liquidity of the mm -hmm. product. Um, we feel that in the trichome it's liquid. Mm -hmm. And so that's how the resin wants to set itself up. And so when we run these extractions, um, we want to see the liquid result at the end, and we want it to be balanced. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, see, people say, myrcene is toxic at a certain temperature. Well, no, this is a complex preparation. Right. It's in balance. Yeah. And so when you're putting it in there, the myrcene in there is in this concert of molecules. Exactly, and it's yeah. all, And we want it to taste well and to have an appropriate effect. So we're not going to overdrive the terpenes here. Right. We're going to keep them at a level that the natural extract wants to have. Yeah. And so with THCA, it works well because it, it will stay in suspension yeah, yeah. at a certain level, which I wouldn't know because the lab that tests for it. Well, I know where it is in SC labs. Yeah. But if I give it to, to another, another lab, lab, so yeah. I'll give it to another lab and it'll say it's 33% THCA. SC labs will say it's 56% THCA. Right. Both yeah. of them will have 20, and then I will say 25% terpenes, and they'll mm -hmm. just be 25% unknown. Right. And that's because the chemistry with the CO2, mm -hmm. they have to do a whole new SOP. Right, you've got to validate to for a unique, it, there may be a compound that is essentially THCA, but, um, yeah, maybe has some slight ornamentation to it or something that will eventually break off or whatever, but they can't technically call that THCA. I don't know where the problem... So I want to know what the other f components are. Mm -hmm. So I can say how many terpenes and how many cannabinoids are in here. That's interesting. But what... How much is of the remainder? Yeah. Truly. Right. And no lab can tell me that. Only I can buy a $560,000 yeah. machine yep. and pass these products through and say, there are my terpenes, there are my cannabinoids, mm -hmm. and then the minus is 
is the rest. Yeah, yeah. The, the great mystery. Yeah, well, just give me about $5 million. Yeah, right. right. Well, I mean, just get a, what, half a million dollars for an LC triple quad. and That's uh, the experience you had with the licensing. Right. If they were professionals and asked for your advice and solicited all the angles that you knew was the appropriate way to test for cannabis, you would still be in that industry, and you would be flourishing, and we would be the better for it. But... Well, yeah, I mean, it's something that when I was when I was working in labs, I mean, my whole angle that I always was interested in was research. And unfortunately, the way that things are structured, um, investigative research is really not incentivized. Um, and it's for a number of reasons. Um, but exactly, yeah. And, you know, it's one reason why I'm, I'm working with some university labs now and helping them um, understand cannabis and kind of go through that initial learning curve because um, that's that's always been my interest because um, there are labs all over the place that you know are commercial labs that will characterize stuff but there's a lot of method development that needs to be done to get producers and consumers the information they need and it, man it's just going to take a long time to get to where I'd like to see it but um, that's that's we want to validate this stuff. I want to give this to the next person you talk to and see. We have a lemon remedy is one. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, it's a three to that. one. Um, it has a limonene, but it has some of the OG in it. He bred it really carefully. Mm -hmm. I mean, he people who have ep epilepsy swear by lemon remedy in particular mm -hmm. and the extracts that we produce. Um, also, we have, I don't know how to say the cancer of the sinuses or whatever but mm. somebody would use that as a vape card and it cured their morning illnesses and their, and wow, their pain yeah. and everything with it so if i could give them and like liters mm -hmm. of that that's bioavailable and ready to go and i could say do whatever you want capsule vapor pen right. topical but you have like a five gallon bucket mm -hmm. and then you only need you know 300 to 500 for each one so <laughs> yeah. um you know that's the level we want to get to is to provide but we got to go through our understanding of what makes this now medicine because it's not a single molecule that's, that's so why is now what's the meaning of this and it's in a spectral fingerprint and yeah. it's in the m molecular characterization but then you first have to understand it. So I had to run all 50 of these things through to ask the questions first. Right. I don't even understand what question to ask until well, I that's see. A, that's a wonderful point <coughs> is, um, you know, where we're at is, yeah, trying to understand what questions do we need to be asking so that we understand what systems to develop to start to generate information to try to get at answers. And um, it's, a, it's a super slow process in, uh, something that popped in my mind thinking about this that I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, you know, preparing extracts like this for vape pens, do you see any reason that a producer would need to add non-cannabis-derived additives to a product to make it suitable for a vape pen? Yes, yeah, so I, yes. So in the same arc as any food company mm -hmm. who puts sugar and flour together yeah. would call on the industry to provide them tangerine or right. um, you know coffee cake or whatever flavor that they need. Mm -hmm. So the neutral preparation of THC, which is the big molecule right. that everybody's in love with, yeah. like alcohol, yeah. like uh, absolute vodka, yeah. 
absolute vodka. It's like all those spirits, all of those aperitifs and all of those things that they add to cocktails, mm. those are all botanical preparations right. as well. Um, those are drank with alcohol and into the sinuses and into mm -hmm. the membranes. So we do ask the food industry to come up with terpene preparations. Mm -hmm. And my, when I did, went through this whole vetting and verification process, mm -hmm. I looked at the companies, I looked at what they did, how they represented themselves. I looked at their product lineup yeah. and I started to move away from preparations that had VG or PG yeah, yeah. or any separation in the flavorings and only things that were completely stayed in suspension and were terpenes or esters mm -hmm. that the food chemist knew that they were going to all be in mm -hmm. homogeny basically yeah. and I knew that when I add that to my THC distillate preparation that it would blend and, mm -hmm. and not separate and that it would create the experience that we discovered from these terpene products. Yeah. These terpene products are at 20 and 30% and a certain cannabinoid value. Yeah. And we put them through all different temperatures and devices mm -hmm. and they responded well. So we make our preparations in a similar vein, Yeah. but we make sure that they blend well and that they're, they're, they're from biology, from nature in a similar polarity. They, they work well together. They're not, yeah vitamins or proteins or yeah uh, or, or hyper concentrated i mean one thing that that you sort of just touched on is like um there's got to be some kind of limit as far as um you know when you're adding for instance in that context if you're adding terpenes um to a distillate or something i imagine there's some upper this limit is great. You don't catch yourself in that thought catch yourself mm -hmm. in the thought Catch yourself in the thought where you, I can't just allow people to haphazardly add as many terpenes as they mm -hmm. want and give them to the public. But on the other end, the person doing that has to be accountable. Mm -hmm. They run a company that's licensed in this state. Right. And so, I mean, so we have different practices that we that are based on our experiences and we use all of these products mm -hmm. and the first line we went through was our friends and family yeah the yeah. people we trusted most and then we told them to bring their friends and family in mm -hmm. so this is our fda trial all of our loved ones the ones closest to us who right. had that to protect the us about. and yeah. they you know did all these products and they came back and every single last time said please can i have some more of that or in one or two cases, it would be like, oh, we didn't have a good experience with that mm -hmm. flavor. I remember I, I went in a direction of mint. There's people like mint and menthol yeah, one yeah. time. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, as a food scientist, very touchy, yeah. very strong flavor. And so um, it, it, it just had a negative reaction. Yeah, but then there's the two or three that were like, where's that mint card? <laughs> yeah. I love that one. So yeah. this is what it teaches you about your customers. For every nine you upset, you're going to have one who's in love mm -hmm. with it. And you try to make nine happy and right. and have the one person who has the bad experience and try to deal with them. But um, that's it's just being accountable yeah. to who uses the products. And so you say that a legal entity or a lab should tell me you can't put more than 18% terpenes in that product. You're going to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And I said, I routinely put 25% in. Mm -hmm. 
And I've sold 25,000 cartridges. So, and with no, no, no feedback or no problems whatsoever. Effects, so yeah. that's the danger you catch yourself in. Because I do agree. I want to stop people from doing things. Mm -hmm. I want to stop people from selling CBD 300 milligrams for seventy nine ninety nine on the <laughs> internet. Yeah. Do yeah. you know, like, yeah. they don't deserve, people who earn that money don't deserve that because they're trying to get cannabis. But, um, uh, I really want to say you support legacy brands, support people who've been in the marketplace for a long time and are struggling mm -hmm. to be legit. Um, and those companies have to support their customers and they all got to kind of support each other, not yeah. just, I'll get it from Bob, I'll get it from Joe. Right. Because it's not, it's on this, it's good, this is bad, this is whatever, so. Well, and it, it gets into this this idea that we, we talked about a little bit before that, you know, not all extracts are the same and, you know, you kind of have to be really discerning about the, the companies and the, the business practices and everything, make sure they're actually putting in the care to evaluate how products are affecting people before they push them to market and that sort of thing and and what they're what they're um uh, you know basic business management practices are one one concept that that came up in one discussion i was having with an herbal scientist friend of mine was he was expressing his concerns um regarding quality control and extractions and how you know he's aware that um some folks that are doing uh, that are producing extracts that don't have prior experience, prior, like prior lab experience and that sort of thing, are using um, hoses and containers and things that are not chemically compatible with high terpene content things. And, and it was something that my friend was familiar with because he's worked with essential oils a lot with other plants, so he understands like you've got to know your chemical compatibility and uh, what's touching what, what might be leaching in. Um, but not all companies necessarily have caught on to that necessarily. It's, it's huge. They, um, I think one of the questions here we'll go into is what are the misconceptions about yeah, our cannabis extraction technology? And that's one of that, them, yeah. butane. Butane, the vilification, THC, and the yeah. vilification of butane. So if I own a CO2 device or that kind of workflow, I call butane toxic and dangerous is the two words. It's dangerous meaning if I use it in my garage and my pilot light blows right. myself up i guess it is dangerous butane is a very stable product you you couldn't tell the difference between butane and gasoline mm -hmm. kind of if i put it in front of you yeah um and it's a very stable solvent and a very reliable and commonly used commonly used in other industries yeah. but also classed in this lpg mm -hmm. category which is propane gas, propane fuel. Mm -hmm. So we, with the fire code and with building code, so <laughs> with science and industry, you get classed your building rated right. industry one, and you just do kind of whatever you want to bring in there. Yeah. Um, you have professional architects and professional fire protection people, and you've done it before. You're following the same practices mm -hmm. that have been done over and over and over again. Nobody bats an eye. But as a cannabis industry, you have to rewrite the wheel for fire code yeah. and everything. <laughs> That's what it seems like, yeah. So um, it's, but it's not toxic and dangerous. And the second thing is it's biodegradable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's the number one gasoline car emission, um, and it doesn't contribute to greenhouse gases. It, butane and propane are simple chain molecules mm -hmm. in the atmosphere they coalesce and fall back down to the earth and they're mm -hmm. used as food for microorganisms yeah so this is the chain of a simple hydrocarbon mm -hmm. um 
my understanding is they don't want us to do that. They want us to recover it. And the only trend there, I'm not going to reuse it in processes because mm -hmm. you ask any other processes, if they reuse a right. raw material that they can't essentially purify, it would yeah. affect downstream processes. So you could just, maybe you can burn it mm -hmm. in like a propane, so, right. but I'm creating CO2 now. Yeah. So our dream workflow would be to get procure hydrocarbons, uh, pure, pure, pure hydrocarbons process using once, burn them to generate electricity, catch the CO2 to make dry mm. ice. And then use and that then as a roll it, yeah, yeah. And then roll this process over again, but that comes with resources. Right, yeah, no, I, I definitely like that idea, that sort of closed loop thinking, but beyond yeah. the, the stainless steel, like, yeah, the the simple you know what people think of closed loop systems, but uh, you know closed. But just loop a closed, yeah. But then, yeah, and so, but, and then it's right with what it comes in contact with. We only come in contact with steel, glass, PTFE, mm -hmm. silicon, um, and that and that's about it. Ceramic mm -hmm. is, I think, the last yeah. thing we come in contact with, and all those substances are inert. We the PTFE is incredibly important. Yeah, yeah, because it's an incredibly Im inert compound it lines all these caps yep exactly um we don't recover stuff that touches certain plastics you know only the ptfe is yep. against that, that was really um, big in all of my lab work you know yes. any holding samples has to be ptfe line lids and, it, and, and as far as the silicone is concerned it just absorbs it doesn't leach or contribute any mm -hmm. sort of negativity that's the pr that's the concept of silicone any sort mm -hmm. of other plastic or polymer right. hosing or, or mm -hmm. gasket could leach in the other direction depending upon how it was made yeah and sometimes you can taste it yeah, yeah bpa so so there you go and the last thing about what i just talked about it applies to cartridges as well so it never put any of these products in a plastic cartridge yes. unless it was ptfe so yeah. you tell me it, that would probably be a 15 dollar cartridge pod right if just the just whole for, structure just the cartridge, was ptfe yeah, yeah so what I found out about the heavy metals and cartridges, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of it's the casting, it's the the molds. They they pour all these molds to make all the casts, mm -hmm. and they're reused over and over and over and over again. And so they just have to pour, pour a virgin mold, which is how they solve the uh. heavy metal problem. But most of them come from black plastics. So the black plastic tip mm -hmm. is where a lot of the heavy metals are detected because that's where the cheapest molds are used to make those tips interesting yeah and then you add with a little bit of terpenes wow. and you're getting some leaching so um it just draws a parallel well there's a ton of cheap chinese plastic yeah. everywhere in our life and in all of our goods and surfaces and whatever yeah. we buy and all of our new stuff so we come in contact with all of that all those toxins all the time I'm not trying to say this is safe Right. I'm trying to explain just the reality of our toxicological thresholds mm -hmm. in life as we know. Well, it. and the dose makes the poison, right? Yes. I mean. So we keep with all ceramics and all glass and all steel, and we know those products after using them over and over again and putting these things in them and letting them sit for years mm -hmm. in back seats of cars and under wherever and pulling them back out. Mm -hmm. And knowing there's no degradation or etching or or anything like that, um, yeah, you know, no off taste even after that long period of time. So you know we're confident 
mm-hmm. keeping to those substances are good. But like a pod, we don't put our products in pod because we taste yeah. that tip. Right when we break it out of its package and we taste that mm-hmm. plastic tip from interacting with the terpene. So it's not an authentic experience and it's easy to eliminate. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's something I, I hope all of that gets gets more attention because, you know, going back to talking about the safety profile of cannabis and everything, um, you know, cannabis is a, a, a pretty safe plant to interact with and even extracts seem to be very safe. Um, and the, it's the contaminant piece that that starts to to cause problems, and um, you know what I've been trying to wrap my mind around lately is the, the whole quote unquote vaping crisis and what's going on with that, since it tends to affect primarily black market vape pens um, and primarily cannabis vape pens, although there are some of it's related to nicotine as well. And trying to understand what's going on with that is that cheap cartridges and things are leaching in and people are getting sick off of that or is it additives and and no one's been able to identify a common thread and there may not be a common thread there could be multiple things happening simultaneously but two scientists sitting in a room yeah let's figure it out all right right, let's do armchair science let's go so it didn't happen in 2016 right so, like, we could just list all of the things that happened in 2016. Yeah. Uh, Pesticide-contaminated vape carts, uh, bad hardware, cadmium solder, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that have been speculated, um, people using vape carts all the way to the end, too high temperature, right, right, right. Um, which I'm going to explain what the situation is now. All of those things mm-hmm. have continually persisted in cannabis. Mm-hmm. Cannabis with neem sprayed all over it, right, with bugs right. all over it. Right. Mildew, Michael pest- been around we forever. know the individual examples of oversensitive individuals mm-hmm. who have hypermesis and who have sucked in mold right. and their lungs will never be the same. Which yeah. I, t- I communicate with them on Instagram. Yeah. For them, it was different. Yeah. They ran into a system, the right combination, yep. lock and key happened. And, you know, it for them, it, but everything else was fine. Mm-hmm. You could put olive oil in a cartridge, and there was nobody really dying. So there was a event, mm-hmm. and so where is it's like a virus event? Is where right. is ground zero? Where's the monkey Where's the running around in the forest? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it is a batch of something that was produced in China. It could have that a batch of that something could be made every week, every day, mm-hmm. every two months. It's at a specific volume. Right. That batch of whatever it is is now used as an ingredient in a third thing. Mm-hmm. And that third thing gets ingredients from all different places, but did have a batch that's substantial here. And that batch of whatever that ingredient was is mm-hmm. used in a hundred things. Yeah. Now you have the human element. Mm-hmm. So now you have to have somebody put it at a certain amount in a certain level of a vape cart, right. 25, 35, 45%. And then this last element is hardware yeah. and psychology. So my thought is, after all the chain of custody I just explained to you, mm-hmm. what hurts the problem the most is people every day could smoke that and never have a problem. Right. Only under a certain circumstance, somebody dies. Yeah. And... Th- when that happens, I think it's somebody using a cartridge all the way down to the end, mm-hmm. uh, the nicotine mods, putting that too high and getting yeah. them. But 
you could do that with every other cannabis preparation, VGPG, and mm-hmm. not hurt yourself. All the same thing, but with this one particular yeah. batch that came from China that has like a vitamin E acetate, but with a mm-hmm. certain Whatever ornamentation yeah. of impurity right. that... Well, and it does seem, I mean, the latest report I saw from the CDC said that they do, it does seem like the cases are plateauing and, and starting to go back down, which then begs this question, you know, if it was one or a handful of batches of something that um, folks were using that had a unique contaminant in it or whatever, um, you know, maybe that's already self-resolved itself. We don't know. We have no idea. Yes. But, um, and, but yeah, but everybody wants to know. Right. So, and I want to know. And people want answers. <laughs> and it's, you would feel like, I know where all my cartridges are that I've used in the past three weeks. Yeah. Every, la- you know, and so I don't understand why people, all the cartridges are right in front of them. Yeah. So why they can't reproduce what's common among them is frustrating and the paradigm in the media that is adding fuel to the fire of its thc that's killing people is bizarre that's been a very interesting thing (laughs) to see that headlines are like it's it's thc and i'm like no i think what you're trying to say is that it's common in cannabis products but that's because between nicotine and cannabis products I mean, just in what we've been describing, cannabis resins and things, it's different than making it nicotine e-juice and requires different types of preparations to make them suitable for vape pens. And so it makes sense of why you might see something that affects cannabis vape pens more so than nicotine because they're very different products, even though people often talk about them as if they're the same thing, that it's all vape pens, it's all vape juice and stuff. And it's like, no, we're talking about very different products handled different ways. And um, yeah, but like I say, there's that one workflow. You know, like you right. vape uh, nicotine, you add a thickener. Yeah, yeah. Va- THC, you add a dilutant. Right, exactly. They're both needing flavors. So, like, you know, where the blend was, or if they use something to flavor that had the same mm-hmm. stuff you'd use to dilute. You know, right. that's where your cross up is. And then the last thing piece about it is, somebody can take my package and put a cartridge in it, and mm-hmm. somebody could die from it. And because of the, how this industry is, mm-hmm. on the media and everything, you never know, it wasn't our product. It was just in our packaging. Oh, exactly, yeah. And um, that is really disappointing to see from uh, happen to certain brands, you know? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen several that um, it seems like um, black market groups and companies are um, straight up using brand common brand names that are in the legal industries. Yeah. Um, just obviously super confusing to people. And and it's the funny thing is the rat race trying to monetize how to how to take care of that. So you're yeah. trying to offer sticker people buy to authenticate. You just <laughs> yeah. got to go to a, a dispensary and buy from. So how we we don't need a sticker on our packaging mm-hmm. to authenticate it. We're just going to show you exactly where all these right. things came from and who the vendors are we're right. dealing e- with. Exactly. We're getting yeah. down to the QR code on each piece. Yeah. So the customer will ping the piece and it will show you where it was bought from, what dispensary, um, and then it'll show you all this batch information yeah. and everything about it. So you know, and then it'll show you only 133 of these pieces were created. Mm-hmm. You got number 59. Right. Uh, yeah. So well, and this all relates to, you know, the work that I do in in quality management consulting. Like, basic good manufacturing practices um, can help 
deal with a lot of this because anyone that's producing anything that someone is consuming should be vetting their suppliers, should be understanding the quality of the materials that they're using, um, should value third-party testing for things that aren't necessarily required from a regulatory perspective but are important for you as a producer to understand the quality of what you're making and, and what consumers are interacting with. And and at the end of the day, I, I view issues like this that are related to quality as an opportunity for producers that are doing things better and are doing things right to step up and market that and say, like, this is what we do. You know, while there's some proprietary stuff, like, overall, we're kind of an open door as far as, you know, being able to demonstrate, you know, just how safe we're trying to make these things and what we know, what we don't know. And um, yeah, so we... Yeah, because we're graduating into the legality of it. Yeah. Because we're being licensed and authorized to license directly to a customer. Because we can take our face now. Yeah. Instead of hide behind a brand or a Ziploc bag or a logo. Right. Um, yeah. We could be more transparent. Um, and so um, that's what I think is a great marketing tool. And even things like these bottles. So these bottles come from an environmental uh, bottle company. So they're free of any pesticides or heavy metals. They're tested internally themselves, and they're provided to people who do environmental testing. They remind me of water collection. They're bottles. water collection yeah. bottles. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> I. So uh, my products are being graded on that metric, and so what? I'll just get my bottles from somebody in there. They go and they clean each one mm -hmm. uh, by hand, <laughs> yeah. and then certify those whole lots of, yep. of bottles for that industry. So they're the same price. Yeah. So in my workflow, why not get them from that manufacturer rather than somebody who got them from China right. and is cannabusinessbottlingcompany.com. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the choices that a scientist makes. And then when we were talking about scientists, about vetting your own things and making, I mean, as a scientist, you know, I fail every day. We fail every yeah, day. And that's we, and part of the process. Those are our most important attributes is understanding why we failed and how we approve. Yep. And we're yeah. not trying to never fail because it's not teaching <laughs> us something. We're always yeah. trying to improve and understand that kind of sequence. So um, when we make these cartridges and these products, you know, we're looking, very over-scrutinizing yeah. those points, um, and we want to be successful. So. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully that, that mentality spreads throughout the industry. Um, so we, I mean, yeah, so how... We're going to give that approach. We're going to put products on the, on the shelf that have that full transparency, but we have to understand our products. Yeah. So we have certain products that we will be debuting in videos again where these products all bubble. Oh, yeah. This yeah, bubble yeah. is attributed to carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So we bought devices to evaluate carbon dioxide mm -hmm. being released. Yeah. And so you know that it's not butane. Right, but right. Yeah. On on public media, when you just can just see, they're going to accuse these products of being residual, high in residuals, mm -hmm. and full of butane uh, because they're bubbling. And right. so we have to understand marketing and how do we present this to the customer yeah. so they can be assured that th this is carbon dioxide like a soft drink. Right, um, yeah. And then all of these are residual free. Along with that comes mandated testing mm -hmm. that they ask us to do and right. that and will all testing. be passed. Yeah. And so we can contribute that with every batch and then have them transparent. So people start to say, I'll look for this consistency, this style, this type of product, because I know that 
they mm-hmm. have all those good practices. Yeah. So it's really, but but it's been a six year march. Yeah, no, it has. And on the on the topic of the lab testing, um, the third party testing, and what are your thoughts on that for extracts right now? Do you think it's adequate? Um, so let's start. <laughs> let's start with what lab testing is necessary yeah. for. So in the beginning, 96, cancer patients had compromised immune systems, and you wanted to make sure if they were going to ingest something by their lungs that it was free of mold right. um, and bacteria, and it's dangerous to AIDS patients. That's yeah. what the purpose of medical cannabis was for, Yeah, um, these end-of-life candidates. To, uh, so that's kind of they where the lab testing sprouted from for the cannabis aspects. But... You know, that is not a reliable measure because mm-hmm. over time, mold and, and everything can grow just over time. Right. Not at that one moment in time. Potency is a complete throw off as well. Mm-hmm. So it can be gamed. You know, taking one sample of one garden is the most ridiculous premise. <laughs> you got to pay $130 yeah. to get your product on the market to have an entertainment test. It should be like nine replicates of nine in a grid mm-hmm. yep, yep. Um, if you want a true kind of concept of potency. And so we deal with it every time. We get batches of cannabis, and it gives us a result. And so we do things reproducibly over and over mm-hmm. and over again, and we know exactly what the potency of cannabis is, and it's yeah. nowhere near in the middle of the 20s, you know? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah no, and it's, it's something that um, when, I was, when I was working with the testing labs, we get questions about this all the time, of like why, particularly in infused product manufacturers, people making edibles or topicals, and like, why are my potencies coming out inconsistent? And we try to backtrack, and it's like, well, what are you using as your inputs? What testing are you doing in process and everything? And um, more often than not, what we would learn is that they were relying on the test result of a flower and then doing math based yeah. on that um, to figure out what their target potency is. And they weren't even really doing in-process testing on like the infused butter or yes. olive oil or whatever. Yeah. And um, and so the first thing I'd have to explain is, well, you realize that that potency result on that flower is a snapshot of that very specific bit of plant material. But even people think it's one gram. I mean, you're talking about like a hundred milligrams. Yeah. It's like a calyx yeah, in like a fan a, leaf. Yeah, it's usually a hundred <laughs> milligrams to 500 milligrams. If if you're doing, if you're assuming that the potency is going to be low, maybe it's a full gram. Um, yeah. In hemp testing, that that's often the case. And of course, there are ways to, to adjust that. But yeah, I mean, you're taking... Um, I mean, one thing is now they adjusted the sampling a couple years ago, so now you've got to take, um, you know, the, the half a percent um, of the lot, collect that up. Theoretically, you should be homogenizing all of that material together. However, one, there's no mandate for labs to do that, so they're not all doing that. Um, two, even when you try to powder all of that material together, you still deal with sampling biases um, and some heterogeneity still in that material. Um, and, and that's a hard pill for some people to swallow, just how heterogeneous a natural product is, which once again, coming from a natural products background, that's not surprising. But right? <laughs> so if you're thinking in that umbrella of concept, concepts as scientists, yeah. you're trying to interact with this cannabis community, you're trying to understand legacy and the culture and fads, mm-hmm. and I'm trying. I have to understand what customers want, right? But I've got to give them 
what they want and need at the and, same and time. And how they can process it. Like they have a certain language yeah. and and information but structure that you kind of have to fit things in. You back into the plants and you're like, I, I even if I have 20 Girl Scout cookie plants here, you know, every nug is going to be subtly different. Mm-hmm. Every growth is going to be subtly different. Every time I grow it is going to be subtly yeah. different. The media, the nutrients, how hot it was, how much humidity, how yeah. So each one of those is going to change, and then I have this fancy word now, chemovar, which I won't accept, <laughs> which is just a layman's term for not renaming something in cannabis because we've got a cultivar and we had a chemotype, and those fit anything I need to discuss with this perfectly. Well, yeah, I mean that that actually I can I can comment specifically on that. So I, I interviewed um, someone that. His mentor was the person that coined the chemovar term, and he he pointed out that that term was never supposed to be used the way it is actually being used now. He said it was supposed to be a synonym for chemotype at a time when chemotype was not a common term that people were using. Sure. And Why it, would you do that? So it's just been picked <laughs> up as this is our can- we're going to co-op cannabis term, exactly. right? You know, yeah. like strain. Yeah. Exactly. We want to call yeah. it cultivar, and I get caught in between. Yeah. Um, so, but. Chemotype, chemovar confuses what what is happening yeah. in my mind. Yeah, it, it, no, it, it relevates yeah. cultivar and chemotype. So it's like I can give cultivar is extremely important because it's the genes that do it. But nature versus nurture. Anytime you bring nature into it, you're changing mm-hmm. the chemotype into Especially something with the subtly different. Yeah. So each batch. At that time and space, in the amount of it, is a mm-hmm. is a chemotype, and I process it and make this is is a chemotype, and then once that's there, it's gone. Right, six weeks from now, forward. the chemotype may be different. Yeah, genetically, yeah. it may drift. Uh, I may add new nutrients. That law mm-hmm. of soil that I got might be pH different. Yeah. Um, you know, so chemotype and cultivar are importantly separated and not and mashed together mm-hmm. into chemovar, which is. I try to track down the explanation, which is always what I like to do for full spectrum, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. is the plant's chemical makeup. Um, it just, just doesn't describe cultivar or chemotype. And with full mm-hmm. spectrum, we ask, what does that mean? What's and the then spectrum? Say, it was lab tested. That's what we've gotten back. <laughs> Sorry, I got a name drop, but it is a company in Oregon who might or may not sell CO2 cartridges just told us it had been lab tested and that's why they called it full spectrum. Uh, and and it's very shocking to yeah. think that somebody could be like, I give it to the lab and I go, did the lab tell you that? Right, they because never I'm trying to go down the chain, like right. the lab goes, the customer asked, is this full spectrum? And the lab goes, yeah, yeah, it's full spectrum. And now, now I got a customer who's an extra company putting it on their box and people mm-hmm. buying it. Um, Think, thinking it's yeah. all well how did the lab come up with this idea and the labs you go back to the lab and you say why well, did you tell them it was full spectrum and they tell you oh it had multiple cannabinoids in it and <laughs> okay well <laughs> doesn't everything have multiple right. cannabinoids and in it even it, the most pure distillate has multiple cannabinoids exa- in it so well, i apologize to you that's exactly my point even even yeah like the an worst isolated product CBD product, ninety-five percent yeah, yeah. pure. Well, there's still other stuff in Maybe there. So it's crystalline a CBD might not be, but mm-hmm. everything else, like distillate or yeah. yeah, isolate is aptly called isolate because it could be ninety-nine point nine eight as a crystal. Right. 
but like a distillate as a as a syrup. Yeah, I mean it's like a semi-solid. Yeah, it's, it's like not... I, I relate it when uh, for people that that aren't familiar with distillate, I describe it as sort of like hot glue, like yeah. slightly cooled hot glue. Yeah, because um, yeah. it it is um, it's like a um, yeah, like a very very Sticky. very thick thick yeah. stir- syrup, and um, yeah, and I mean, and, and that's not even a place for labs to even comment. Like labs labs are in the business of realizing data that's what they should do and they should do nothing else other than that you know making sure that the process of realizing data is solid and backed by you know good quality controls and everything and then what people how people interpret that data or make claims about that data that that is for other companies to do and i i do get disappointed when i see cannabis testing labs trying to get into like the marketing game trying to influence um, marketing of the industry uh, that's Totally out of place, and um, <laughs> like telling you the what CBD is good for or what terpene. Oh my is gosh, good I hate, or... I really hate those charts that you see in dispensaries yes. that have the grid and sure. it will say have all the inflammation, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, all the dots and everything, <laughs> and it's like okay. The yeah. biggest one is a uh, limonene uh, antidepressant. <laughs> right. I'm like, yeah. So when's the last time you got to the doctor and you're like, I'm feeling blue, and be like, have some oranges, <laughs> right, yeah. or la- or lemons, squirt some lemon, uh, you know, like. Well, and it gets into, you know, something you probably have appreciation for, especially given some of the research that you've uh, done for your graduate studies. But, you know, um, something that's really rampant in the cannabis industry, but it's also really rampant in the natural products industry broadly is people wanting to look at like cell culture models or really simple in vivo tests that and, and then extrapolating um, pharmacological data that supposedly is applicable to a human being and then marketing that antifungal or just all these different th- you know so for instance one one common thing that i that i talk about um and it, it's evolved since i first was teaching on this but when people were talking about cbd and cbc being um these really awesome antidepressants that was not based on human clinical data that was based on mouse studies that were doing force swim tests and tail suspension tests which if anyone listening that doesn't know what a force swim test or a tail suspension test is this might disturb you well but anyway so a force swim test is when you train a rodent to swim in a pool of water and find a platform and then um eventually you take away the platform and you see how the rodent basically how long will the rodent try to find the platform before they drown that that's one study and so they'll give these rodents um different compounds to try to um, see how it affects their behavior and basically they use that behavior of how long are they willing to fight to survive essentially to relate to antidepressant activity or anti-anxiety activity the tail suspension test is where and this one really might bother some folks but i think you need to know it um rodents are literally suspended from like a wooden plank above um a, a pool of water and you measure how long they fight to survive before they give up and just lay there um to suspended yeah and the same thing they'll they'll give them compounds and 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 extrapolate that behavior to relating to antidepressant antipsychotic even anti-anxiety anxiety effects in humans so I think if people understood that more, they might be a little um, less willing to jump into some of the, that marketing material that says, oh, this is 10 times, you know, the antidepressant effect of this. Well, how is that that medical claim derived? And if it was a tail suspension test or force swim test or something like that, you know, while that may indicate something interesting, there's already a huge issue in clinical 
research philosophy right now about whether these types of studies are even meaningful at all. Um, so, I mean, where do we get meaning then? Two scientists in a room again, and I say, how do I bring meaning to customers mm -hmm. who want meaning? Um, and I need to know more about them. Yeah. And this is, again, the dangerous side of having too, having people share too much information and being allow them to share too much information, think you have too much of their information. But this is based on the human genome work that I've done, mm -hmm. and they wanted to encourage everybody to get genome tested. Everybody, go to your doctor yeah. and pay for your $30 test mm -hmm. uh, because we got to start figuring out if you have all these kind of diseases. They, they don't have really mapped out, and it's only... And, uh, so everybody started cutting off their breasts, yeah, and yeah. they had to roll back because it was like a 56% chance if you had these two BRCA genes mm -hmm. that you may develop breast cancer, and it wasn't like a 100% chance, but right. Angelina Jolie goes out and gets a mastectomy, mm -hmm. and so they kind of had to roll that back a little bit. But um, in that process, we needed to know more. Just, genome is not enough. Well, I need to yeah. know what your what happened to your parents, who your parents are, what symptoms you're having, what your outcomes are, what your intolerances are, if you have allergies. Mm -hmm. So when I tell you I'm going to make a product for you, when I tell you I need you to communicate back to me if it helps you mm -hmm. with being anxious, I need to know what kind of anxious we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to develop all these rules so they can easily, like uh, easy text, Instagram, social mm -hmm. media, go through their history and feel comfortable that you're safely preserving it right. so that you can get at the meat of telling these class of people who are anxious that CBDC might work for them. Yeah. But these class of people who are anxious, that's actually just a version of depression or, or anti yeah. you know some other thing that where you want to stay away from cbc or you know like cbd and thc yeah. and might help you but still we're unsure so you get that from feedback from people but it has to have this context yeah it's got to have some control and and you're touching in on a another big aspect uh discussions that are going on right now in psychology research and like how do you measure uh depression anxiety i'm just overall dissatisfaction with life outcomes, et cetera. And, you know, it wasn't until the, the past several decades that people realized like, oh, maybe like a zero to 10 scale for pain is maybe not good enough because people's, people have different types of pain. Um, and also when you deal with psychological conditions, there's a huge amount of subjectivity to it as far as, you know, my pain and your pain are very different um, experiences. And even finding some objective measure of some sort of signaling that's going on in the brain is not going to tell you how your pain compares to my pain as far as how we feel it. Um, the same goes for things like depression and anxiety, sadness, malaise. Um, and so when someone makes a claim, for instance, um, to bring it more directly to like CBD and the epilepsy research, you know, you can't just say CBD is good for epilepsy. Mm. Epilepsy is a broad term mm. that Parkinson's and, yeah, there are yeah. all sorts of different forms of epilepsy. And uh, medical research hasn't even teased out those nuances yet. Like we're at the beginning of understanding that there's a lot of different forms of epilepsy caused by different things with different mechanisms that present similar symptoms. And we have to understand that when we come up with a term for a disease condition, that term is usually representative of a group of symptoms, but those group of symptoms can have varying causes. But even as you say that, to me, I'm thinking epilepsy is a type of seizure, an event 
of mm-hmm. uh, muscle and rollback and anything like that. So you're we're speaking different semantics mm-hmm. because we're on that communication. But to you, it sounded like epilepsy is one specific thing. But I'm thinking there's still other seizure events, and I just yeah, didn't know yeah. they're all called epilepsy because right. we're in different semantic ranges. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't naive to think when I say lemon rabbit helps with epilepsy that it's a specific type of epilepsy. Right. Or yeah. it's a specific yeah. type of seizure. It's not grand mal or, or other types of, of seizing or right. seizures or something like that. Cause yeah. Well, and that's where the, the communication piece is so important. It's like if it's if something is helping someone's epilepsy, it's like, oh, well... Uh, what form do they have or e- or even just like what's their age and what are their uh, seizures typically like what's the typical frequency and you know how's it how's it affecting those things um, so let's tie, let's wrap it in a bow because of what you talked about in the future of cannabis yeah kind of. yeah it's like what am i searching for the meaning of life the meaning of cannabis it's like why what is this endocannabinoid system why is it so important why isn't there a single medication that addresses uh, endocannabinoid deficiency mm-hmm. um what are phytocannabinoids why did it mm-hmm. is there something that exists in nature is it a nutrient like a, a starch or a protein or a vitamin right. that we need it's given to babies uh the moment of birth from mm-hmm. the mother and these are the most important things uh infant needs to survive are right. what comes out of the breast milk just to just to have the sensation of needing to feed and is... a pharmacologist was explaining to me phytocannabinoids are processed in the liver and endocannabinoids are more brain type um molecules are isolated um, or metabolized um and so i'm thinking because i was thinking maybe this is a vitamin that humans and mammals need and because of this thc um, bastardization um, that we've moved away from this vitamin that Mm -hmm. society needs Mm -hmm. and i was maybe being too romantic about it and too over like we definitely need all cannabinoids (laughs) in our system everybody right and then i was kind of backtracking with the way phytocannabinoids are metabolized and talking with somebody and he said well you know it's just really exercise is really what pushes the endocannabinoid yeah, yeah. system mm-hmm. moving forward and you get the runners high and that's where you're actually producing all the endocannabinoids mm-hmm. and i thought to myself like, youth and exercise and movement and endocannabinoids are is what the meaning of life and health is and as a society we've been sedentary and yeah, yeah. we moved away from that lifestyles that are activity every day and sun cycles and noon mm-hmm. cycles and having this regulation of our our sleeping and mm-hmm. our, our digestive system as we become sedentary and look at screens and have this lifestyle we need more phytocannabinoids in our society yeah. to deal with leaving behind that running and catching our own food and exercising as a lifestyle and living for only 30 years yeah we need as a society all this proliferation of phytocannabinoids to plug in well that's i several other people i've talked to have um sort of mimicked that message that one of the best things you can do to support your endocannabinoid system and and it's the message that we've all grown up with exercise more and eat healthier and the eat healthier thing i think is a very interesting piece because um you know, we're learning that a lot of plant compounds interact with the endocannabinoid system. And our foods over time 
have become less and less rich in a lot of these these phytonutrients that would do that, including things like flavonoids and certain terpenes and things like that. And one example I use is corn, given how ubiquitous it is in our diet, that at one point corn was um, bred for a high oil content. And one of the big um, terpene constituents of that oil was beta-carophylline, and beta-carophylline interacts with CB2 receptors and, and possibly other components of the endocannabinoid system. And that was some dietary interaction with the ECS that we were having early on. And then um, between the, like, I think it was like the 40s and the 60s, in that time, we started to breed out those oils. Because um, at the time, we didn't have a way to value them. It just wasn't really in our consciousness that that was something we needed to care about. So um, as a food product, corn um, started to become less and less um, uh, abundant in beta-carophylline and other compounds. Um, I'm sure a similar story is true for a lot of foods. Um, and what's interesting about the corn piece is now researchers have learned that having those terpene-rich oils actually helps reduce the need for pesticides of corn. So now they're starting to breed it back in. Um, and so it, you know, it may be interesting to see with combination of exercise and find, finding phytonutrient-rich foods, um, and regardless of the fact that we don't know exactly what's going on, but just knowing that they are interacting with the ECS and that it's generally recognized now by the folks that are studying the ECS the most that the endocannabinoid system is essentially a foundational physiological system. It's connected to everything else, and it's it's driving a lot of homeostatic processes. And I get a little anxious talking about homeostasis because I think it's a concept that people often uh, mischaracterize, but it, it has something to do with that overall balance of the body. And so, absolutely, we used to be more active. Our foods used to be more phytonutrient-dense, and we move around a lot less. Our foods are a lot blander, <laughs> more bland con compared to what they, they used to be. And, and so that's perhaps where this all fits in is, you know, if, if there is a deficiency, that would explain a lot of that and, and being well, able to stimulate that system. And, and I say the proof is in the pudding. I mean, over the past 40 years, we've gotten better with air quality mm -hmm. and water quality as a nation, right? And we less cigarettes. But, I mean, you look at the movie stars from the 80s. Yeah. They look like old baseball gloves, and they're all, like, 40 <laughs> years old. Yeah. And you look at all people in the cannabis industry, and they're all, like, a bunch of babies. The soft <laughs> yeah. skin, nice teeth, and, uh, you know, like, pretty decent overall kind of health because mm -hmm. they've used cannabis all their lives or 20 years. And so I just look at that as one fundamental, yeah. I, you know, empirical piece of evidence. Yeah, and, and, and there's there's interesting research showing that like THC stimulates metabolism. It changes the way uh, glucose is managed in the body. And um, I interviewed Dr. Ethan Russo, and mm -hmm. he was telling me about some newer research being done on the gut microbiome and cannabinoids, mm -hmm. and showing that THC tends to promote a healthier balance of uh, microflora in the gut. And I've obviously uh, it's now generally well known that the gut microbiome you know is a critical mm -hmm. piece of the immune system as well as um, the nervous system and everything and well that's with Crohn's and as you know right. um, th that's very he good help with Crohn's I've had my own my family has history with digestive diverticulitis oh, yeah. okay. and stuff um, so I know the, p the pain and pressure people go through with Crohn's disease and cannabis 
medically, the papers have come out. Yeah. The, the verdict is in. <laughs> yeah. It helps and could cure people with Crohn's mm-hmm. disease. And I mean, when you're drinking Ensure for your life, you want to get back into eating mm-hmm. interacting with real foods. Yeah, cannabis can help you know, those people. And I like the applications of ca- cannabis and medical um, research that's real concrete, you know, like epilepsy yeah. and children's seizures being cured and movement-based Parkinson's right. being lessened and uh, Crohn's. And if you put RSO on uh, certain types of topical mm-hmm. skin cancers, they can vanish. Yeah. Um, you know, so those practical solutions are unique to the individual. It might not mm-hmm. work for everybody, but, um, you know, making products that people can try. Yeah. Uh, see if they avail these symptoms. That's what we're all about. So. Yeah, I love it. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and get this wrapped up. I think we've been going for at least an hour and a half or more, if not an hour and 45 minutes. Um, I want to give you a chance if there's anything that we haven't gotten into um, that you wanted to spend a little time talking about, we can do that now. Otherwise, if you just want to um, tell our listeners how to learn more about your company, the work you're doing, how to um, um, you know keep track of, of your development sure. and all that, I'll just kind of give you the platform, um, whatever you want to go into. Yeah, no, they, so all of our media is online where it got to pick good presence online. So you can reach out to us on social media or extractioneering.com. Um, but they, and then there's some, um, talk about our research interests. Of course, we want to get really expensive machines in this industry. Of course, we all do. Test all <laughs> these products and look yeah. into, you know, what these compounds are. Um, but, um, more or less what I really would like to promote, and uh, we're trying to figure out what we are as a company and our ethos. And of course, we've got a lot of selections to choose from, but I honestly really feel like, you know, THC needs some help. Yeah, and um, we got to start pushing back against the whole intoxicant premise, yeah. and um, it, it's a real babe in the woods moment. You know, we don't want to rush out there and be like we're a bunch of drunks and you have to accept <laughs> us for it or something. Yeah. But um, we had to break this chain. Well, I think at some point, and because THC is what people are looking for in most of these preparations. Yeah, and, and, and you're, you're definitely not the first person to, to mention that. I mean, several of the healthcare professionals I've interviewed have said the same thing. You know, CBD's great, but THC's really where we're seeing a lot of our, our improvement. And I think maybe, you know, I think harm reduction education goes a long way for that, helping to explain to people that there's a way you can engage THC to avoid... Um, having an uncomfortable psychological experience you know and that sort of thing and and that can i think help um that goes along with each person has a different unique endocannabinoid yeah. system right so i i that's where we're going to be our message really is to be back and say you know thc it's 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 for you and me it's not it's <laughs> not it's not the villain yeah it's you know as they try to choke the hemp down and choke everything out to try to just make a point right right yeah just trying to stand on that last island <laughs> right as, as the water's rising you know, as it rises right. and say now you can't have this because we know it's the most important thing or what you want 
yeah. you know, like it's it's it, the you know we're getting lost in the weeds there. Stuff's too important, so like it's gonna have to be like just push it into their spot and yeah. be like this is not a problem. Well, and you know I was talking to a nurse about this, and a comment she made that I um, that stuck with me. She said that particularly for people with medical issues that THC can really help. So a lot of those folks, um, if they truly have a strong deficiency where that's really satisfying that, she said, one, those types of people tend to develop a tolerance really, really quickly um, to um, any sort of uncomfortable effects of THC. And a lot of times they tend to not get as high as a lot of people do because their bodies are getting something that it, it kind of needs and it's sort of moving them closer to a baseline rather than pushing them far above the baseline mm-hmm. um and i think that's something important for for people to realize is uh, going back to this that everyone yeah, is interacts it, differently the plateau is an explanation yeah right um somebody who doesn't have it often it, it spikes like this it comes yeah. way up uh like a gc and and it <laughs> yeah. takes a while to come down uh, like three hours or something and so where i am at is so i've created this line and so i move like one mm-hmm. tick above it and come back down to that line and as long as i interact with it i am on that plateau yeah. and only when it's been a while i start to come down so when it's been a while is i don't use thc or cannabis while i'm sick mm-hmm. with yeah. a cold or a virus because yeah. i feel as though it has some anti this depressant of the immune system in the same yeah, way it yeah, can help it does, you with inflammation yeah. or same, allergies yeah, yep. to kind of slow that stuff down is the same thing where it kind of slows my immune response mm-hmm. and what it's attacking Absolutely. at that particular moment not yeah. immune immunity me fighting off things right. every day just when the immune system needs to be on high it doesn't need to be slowed down exactly no that's a so uh, when I go off of it for four, five, six days because of nasal congestion or whatever, and I come back, mm-hmm. I spike right up there again, right. and it's very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. But uh, two, three, four, five circumstances later, I'm on the plateau. Yeah. And only the weirdest of circumstances. Yeah. And so with THC, the temperature at which you use it, mm. the percentage of THCA to THC, which we will be transparent and report mm-hmm. on, uh, recommendation about what the voltage in is in and for pens, um, and then of course you said mentioned edible versus vaporization, mm-hmm. but then this product at the same temperature and amount in this product in the same temperature amount is mm-hmm. going to be a completely different experience. Yeah, and that's something, I mean, I don't know if it's something we need to spend time yeah. or not on the, if you want to, but it, it's something that I actually thought about and then didn't think to ask you. But about the temperatures, is there anything you want to specifically comment on regarding um, Your, how e- folks are using these different adjustable devices? Yeah. And So each, to, we uh, each we want to recommend a device and a temperature when it comes time, but um, each device and setup is unique to yeah. the device and the setup. And so... Um, Usually you can measure the temperatures. We're usually on glass at 440 degrees, um, which is any one of these products that vaporize. But Mm -hmm. if you have more need for cannabinoids, you're going to be inching that up. Um, And, you know, going too high would create a problem. But you would be uncomfortable at the level at which Mm -hmm. you'd be using it. And it would taste... Poor, yeah, both yeah. in cartridge. So if you have, oh, the, I guess I can circle back. So none of my products taste poor. 
<laughs> Maybe if you're a product company, you can't separate what tastes poor and what's burning and what tastes poor. It's just fine. It's vaporizing. Mm -hmm. But one of these products tastes how I want it to taste, which is good. And yeah. if it's too hot or it's too high and it tastes poor, it, it's too hot and it's too high. It's not because... Right. My product is tasting bad. So yeah, and then you're affecting like particularly in a vape pen. If you're burning something too hot, you're not only affecting that draw that you're taking, but you're yeah. affecting the material that's sitting in yeah. that in so that cartridge for future draws. Yes, and so with the so then just wrap with the wax that polymerizes that's left in here. Mm -hmm. When you put this liquid in a vape pen, it gets wicked up and turned into mm -hmm. vapor without collecting. When the product still has a wax forms a shellac mm. on the on the vape pen almost mm -hmm. two or three uses yeah that's great the first couple then it forms like this wax membrane on the on the thing itself yeah, and so yeah. it gets poor performance in the cartridge down the line and so it's another reason why we make sure every everything has been taken out so uh, in terms of wax is that why some vape pens after a while they get almost impossible to draw from that is two things also the liquid gets into the the mm -hmm. draw tube and that's what the preheat function is for, is to loosen up loosen, the plug yeah, gotcha. of the liquid. It's a little bit more viscous of a product. These products don't typically have those problems because they remain, even though this is a room yeah. temperature product now, I took it out of, of 90 degrees, but they remain fluid because they're separate molecules, because yeah. they're extracted in the right chemistry. So it works with all of the vaporization intent down mm -hmm. the line where other products don't. Well, and that and that relates to um, my question earlier about additives and everything, and and talking about solvents uh, that a lot of people don't realize, like terpenes are solvents, terpenes some cannabinoids are solvents. Are so <laughs> your body makes acetone; it is a right. solvent. You drink alcohol at yep. 40, 80 percent, um, you have no problem with it. You make lactic acid and alcohol mm -hmm. um, as a solvent. If I steam distill uh, terpenes off of plants, I get something called a plant hydrocarbon. Yeah which is what dinosaurs and plants is what hydrocarbons <laughs> are made out of, right? Yeah, so I yeah. steam something and I'm getting a hydrocarbon in my steam distilled terpenes because mm -hmm. it's a natural plant process. Right. It's a short chain carbon yep. with the hydrogens on it. And it's at 10% in steam distilled preparations. Yeah. So it's like the concept of what is a solvent, when is it dirty, mm -hmm. it's toxicological threshold. Yeah. What is, we use clean solvent. So it's important to us to get our solvent from the distillery. So they test it as it comes out and it's put into our tank. Yeah. The only impurities are the other propane and butane. So the impurity in propane is butane and the impurity in our protein is butane. And yeah. Basically, it's enough. They take the tanks and they clean the insides out and they restem all of them because LPG tanks are notoriously yeah. kind of dirty. Yep. They yep. don't worry about that. So they give us a certificate. They give us a stamp on the tank. They tell mm -hmm. us the documentation of how it was transported. Yeah. And all of that is going to be, you know, their tank number is going to be listed on this product number so that we that's, know that's where that came from. Yeah. That's really good to hear because, um, and I promise we'll finish this up, but you keep <laughs> making me think of other things that I, I want to mention. But going back to GMP and that sort of thing, something that is less enforced in the food and dietary supplement world is definitely enforced in pharma. Um, and it should be enforced anytime there's extraction going on. But you were talking about why not to recycle solvents in a closed loop system and everything. Well, one reason why that is 
um, oftentimes really difficult or impossible to do in a pharma setting is because you have to validate the purity of the recovered solvent and it has to be a certain purity before it can be used again um, in the process. So imagine government saying, oh, that stuff's dangerous. You got to reuse it over time until it's done. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, in the business of making the products. You're not in the business of making them. So I want, yeah, a decent product. But like I said, all the acetone, I told you what we use for steel and PTFE and glass and mm -hmm. everything. The acetone that we use to clean it, it's HPLC yeah. grade. 99.9 plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the stuff from the hardware store. <laughs> Greasy Joe. You're not using naphtha? No. So <laughs> it's all in it. It's just $20 more. Right. It's yeah. not a big deal. Um, but it's a big deal to us because we know that every time we use. Uh, our acetone, right? So it's it's of that level of quality. It doesn't have any of those other impurities, and it's in like a container it's supposed to be in. Yeah. Um, well, I hope that everyone listening to this, by hearing us talk about some of these nuances, maybe it'll spur some new questions. They'll start asking. And then you producers. say, how do customers know? You tell them to look at this and answer. Ask all those people these questions that they learned mm -hmm. here today, and try to understand more about who they're getting their products from. Yeah, and particularly dispensaries that are buying, you know, things in, in bulk and, and reselling. I mean, uh, this is something like I strongly recommend devise a simple quality questionnaire to issue to vendors. And if they have a hard time answering questions about chemical compatibility or the quality of inputs um, and that sort of thing, like that's a huge red flag. Um, and there are enough producers out there you can hunt down the good ones that are trying to do things right that are measuring their own quality and and managing that um, that you don't have to push out bad product just for the sake of having something on the shelf um and and hopefully that'll that'll continue but cool um well cool well thanks so much for being willing to give me so much of your time and yeah, chat no I've, i really enjoyed it um it's been great and and like i said um as things progress, if you ever want to do another drop-in, sure. or or if something pops in your mind, some topic that we want to do a deep dive on, just you've got my contact now. Hit me up, and we'll All right. we'll yeah. do this again. Good enough, thank you. Cool, Thanks awesome. Well, take it easy, and <laughs> yay, yeah. And as I say, stay curious. All and right. um, everyone listening, if you want to find out any more about extractioneering, uh, check them out on Instagram at extractioneering and extractioneering.com. And then for Curious About Cannabis, you can find us at Curious About Cannabis um, or uh, CACpodcast.com and connect with us on um, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thanks so much for listening or watching, and I'll talk to you again very soon. <laughs> <laughs>